1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which ye also have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye were saved, are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. We'll stop there. Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, we might consider the gospel in perhaps a different light, but with the same purpose, that others may say, wherein we have been saved. We pray that you'd bless this message to each and every person here, especially as they particularly need it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. People who attend our church only on Sunday mornings uh, may grow tired of what they hear week after week. At this juncture on Sunday, I want to preach Christ. I want to preach the gospel. And I will try to do that every, every opportunity. I try to make each sermon a little different but there are only a million ways to do it. And so after a while, you will hear some degree of repetition. As children of God, you may, you may enjoy that. You should enjoy yes. that. And I encourage you to bring the lost to be with us. Not, not, not on Sunday evening or not on Wednesday, but this message on Sunday morning is usually geared to the lost, to give them the answer to their, their problems. If people want to hear other biblical subjects, I encourage them to come to the 10 o'clock service or the 6 o'clock service or on Wednesday night. This morning, once again, I would like to address the subject of the gospel. And before we begin, please notice the words that I just used. This morning, I would like to address the subject of the gospel. I did not say that I'm going to preach the gospel once again. What I hope to do today is to teach some things about the gospel. Our opening scripture from 1 Corinthians is often used as a definition of what the gospel is, the good news. Essentially, it is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried. But 72 hours after his entombment, he was resurrected. He lives. Coming out of that tomb, he met several people over a period of time. That simple statement is one of the most important ever made. There is salvation in Jesus Christ. The gospel is, the good news is, you have a need and here's the answer to that need. According to this scripture, which is God's revelation, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for our sins. Just that simple. Certainly there could be much more said about these words. And there should be much more said about these words. But these are the bare bones. This is the outline of the gospel. Have you ever studied the word gospel? 
as it's found in the Word of God. If you have, you know that it means good news, but that's not where I'm going. If you had one of those full concordances, one of those big books that has all, has all the words that are found in the Bible and puts them together in different organizations, if you have a full com- concordance, or if you use a computer program that lists all of the verses where the gospel, the word gospel might be found, you'd, you'd come up with just short of 100 verses, 100 places. In other words, the gospel is a major biblical subject. It is a major doctrine. It is the number one subject of the word of God, if you would like the truth. It's number one. And as you begin to read through those words, those hundred verses, you'd find in about half of them, more than half of them, another word keeps popping up next to the gospel. Let me give you an example. And this gospel shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations, and then shall the end come. Go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In the cities of Lyconia, there they preached the gospel. So much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. From Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ is named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. I could go on giving another uh, 45, 48 scriptures which tie together gospel and the preaching of the gospel. The simple Greek word, euangelion, the gospel, is used 77 times in our Bible. But the related word, euangelizo, preach the gospel, is used 55 times. Clearly, the ministry of God's churches, the ministry of this church, must be the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But this morning I want to shift gears a little bit and talk to you about the gospel rather than preaching it once again. I am praying that the effect will be the same. But for the sake of the gospel itself, I want to approach it just a little differently and perhaps give you something that you've never considered before. I hope to leave you with the fact that the gospel is a story, the gospel is a doctrine, the gospel is a command, the gospel is an invitation, and it is an appeal. These five things. The good news of the gospel is a story. It is a history of Christ and his love. Beginning way back in eternity past, before there ever were any people, knowing that the world that he had created would be populated with sinners, God determined to rescue, save many of them. Part of that story, story of rescue, describes the covenant that was made between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. That's part of the story. 
Then in the fullness of time, at the precise moment when God the Father, when God wanted it to happen, the Son of God was born, came into this world. A being who is actually a divine spirit took upon himself a human body. He was made in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin in order to condemn sin in the flesh, the scripture tells us. This is the story. Condensing that story, which I hope that you've heard many, many times, after 33 years, Christ Jesus was condemned to die. It wasn't the will of the Lord that that take place. He died in the will of man because he declared himself to be the Messiah. We don't believe that. He had the audacity to tell people to repent. We don't want that. Anyway, man put Christ to death. After being prophesied that it would take place, Paul even refers to that. According to the scriptures, he was sacrificed. According to the scriptures, he died. Those prophecies that we have of Christ coming from the Old Testament, some of them have meticulous detail. Here he comes. After being severely beaten, abused, Christ was nailed to a cross, and very quickly he yielded up his life. He died. This is a story. Then a couple of gracious men took Jesus' body, prepared it, and then laid it in a tomb that belonged to one of those men. Jesus' disciples were absolutely devastated. They hung together loosely for a little while, and then all of a sudden, the resurrected Christ appeared to them. He, he, he showed himself openly. They were disturbed that the body was missing, but it's not missing. The Lord knows exactly where it is, and he is still utilizing that body. There have been thousands of books written by men of various backgrounds and for differing reasons that have retold the story of the gospel, retold the story of the Lord Jesus Christ. They have included details about uh, uh, the miraculous birth. They have talked about Jesus' baptism and his temptation by Satan. They have published maps saying Jesus and his disciples went from here to there and up to here and down here and this direction. They have listed and described Jesus' miracles. They've spoken in detail about his beating and the ring of thorns that were, uh, was pushed down onto his scalp and the, the blood and the so on. There, there's, there's been a lot more to this story than simply what we have right here in 1 Corinthians. I suppose that John summarized it all when he wrote in John chapter 20, and many other signs truly did, many other things truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. The gospel is a wonderful, powerful, dynamic story. There's history there. But it's not only a tale to be told, it is a doctrine. Many doctrines. 
The word doctrine offends a lot of Christians in these last days. They don't like that term. We don't want to hear about doctrine. It's a biblical term, number one, and it's a simple biblical term. It just means the teaching about this, some sort of teaching. The gospel contains teaching. Paul told his, his associate Titus, Speak thou those things which become sound doctrine, not that turns into sound doctrine, which makes sound doctrine look good, becoming. And the Apostle John wrote, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Doctrine refers to teaching. The doctrine of Christ is extremely important because it is the pathway to God. The story is nice. Now, what is the story actually describing? There's theology behind it. The gospel is not only a story. It is is God's interpretation of the story. The gospel contains much more than just the details of the life of Christ. It is a doctrine. It is a string of doctrines. For example, why did God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit choose to save anybody? That's theology. That's doctrine. The answer is, Because God knew and ordained that Adam would sin and fall into the need of a Savior, and it was in God's heart to do something about that for his honor and glory. Why were the details of Christ's incarnation and crucifixion all planned and prophesied and brought to perfection? Because in his omniscience, God knew that someday you would be in that place where You needed that knowledge. You needed that story. No, you needed what was behind that story. Maybe it's today, maybe it was 50 years ago. The gospel is Bible doctrine, which flows out of the story of Christ. For example, the gospel includes the doctrine of man's depravity. You may not like this, but it's there in the Bible. Sin has corrupted every part of your being. I'm not saying that you are as wretched, as sinful as uh, some mass murderer or some other sinner that you know. I'm just saying that sin has corrupted every part of you. Your ability to think, uh, the way your heart beats, uh, just everything. The gospel contains the truth and the teaching that despite the physical life that you have sitting here in the house of God today, you are spiritually dead until the Lord gives you spiritual life. The doctrine of the gospel eventually includes subjects like justification, which is God's uh, declaration of righteousness on a sinner that is not righteous and doesn't deserve righteousness. At some point there's a reconciliation. The act of God where he brings this justified person to himself. 
Other doctrines include election and regeneration and adoption and sanctification and so much more. There are, there are hundreds of books written about the story of Christ. There are probably thousands of books written about the story of Christ, the story of the gospel. But in addition to them, there are ten times as many books dealing with the doctrines of the gospel. Some people are moved by the story. The Holy Spirit comes along and they hear about the, the, the suffering of Christ and the crucifixion and that brings them to tears and brings them to the cross. Another person may say, you're going to have to tell me about why and how and some of the details. So the Lord has this for that person and this for this other person. The Lord knows what he's doing. We just tell the story and share the details. And then when people are born again, when they do have this spiritual life, they feast on these doctrines. They love to hear more about the sacrifice the Lord has done for them and the love that was displayed at Calvary and so on. In addition to the gospel story and doctrine, it is a command. Go back with me to the fact that the gospel is to be preached. It's a strong word. To be preached. To preach is to declare something emphatically. Not just say, this is the way it is. It is to say, this is the way it is, and you better do something about it. It is, it is the declaration of the story emphatically urging people to respond to that message. There is nothing wrong with putting parts of the gospel into poetical verse and singing it. It's okay. Do it. It's all right. I have been privileged to witness an excellent theatrical performance called a passion play. How many have seen a passion play? <laughs> My wife. Uh, in several places, the United States, in Europe, uh, actors, and many times amateur actors, get together and they just depict the last uh, uh, few days of the life of Christ, including the crucifixion. And it can be very moving, very heartwarming, or whatever. As a pastor, I have several dozen books on the gospel theology. As a child, I attended church somewhat regularly and often heard the gospel story in different ways, in different forms. But it was not until I actually heard the gospel preached that the message and the story actually did something to me. I was moved by it. God has ordained that the gospel be preached, not just sung, not depicted in art, or poetry. Before Paul's brief definition of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, in the very first chapter, he emphasized its preaching. Christ sent me to preach the gospel, not with words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ should be none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But to us which are saved, we know it to be the power of God. 
Why does the Bible put so much emphasis on preaching the gospel? Because the message, because the story is the only way for people to escape eternal judgment. So it must be presented to people, forcefully presented to them. The story is so important that it needs to be shared with authority. Not the authority of the preacher, but as he represents the Lord in preaching the word, it's God's authority. You need to do something about this message. There's an implicit command in the gospel, and especially in the preaching of the gospel. Since there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, then the gospel is essential to people's souls. Part of the gospel story are the words of the Lord Jesus in John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man goes to the Father. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That being true, then those words need to be preached. They need to be forcefully declared over and over and over again. Even, if I may, commanded. Do it, my son. Trust the Lord. Peter talks about a commission that he and the other disciples received from the Savior. And Christ commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Peter was commanded to preach and he was doing so with a a command In his message, you need to do something about this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. What was he commanded to preach? That there is salvation only in Christ Jesus. There's no other way of salvation. Mark chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 gives us the example of the Lord himself. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom of God. And he was saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. It's a command. Command from the lips of the Lord Jesus. Repent and believe the gospel. The other night, a house caught fire. And a neighbor saw the flames leaping from the attic. He ran out into the cold and across the street to that home, banging on the front door, trying to wake up the residents who didn't know that their house was in flames. He had good news for them. It began with bad news. Their house was on fire. But salvation was available to them by just coming out the front door, leaving. He shared the good news with the command in his voice. Escape! Escape! There's fire here! The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye. Believe the gospel. And that points out that the gospel is a serious warning. The doctor has discovered that you have cancer. And if it is not treated, you will die from this cancer. 
He has no authority over you, but he is concerned. I am warning you, he says. Death is approaching. Do something. Let me remove this cancer. Let me treat your body and save your life. I have good news to go along with this bad news that you're dying. In the first three chapters of his epistle to the Romans, Paul laid out the terrible condition that we are all in. In chapter 2, he talks about the sinfulness of the Jewish nation, the Jewish people. In chapter 1, he talks about all those who are not Jews, the idolatrous Romans and heathen of other varieties. And then in chapter 3, he combines them and condemns them all. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. And what will happen to those sinners? Tell us, Paul. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gospel message contains a warning that the wages of sin is death. But it also has good news. The gift of God is eternal life through the sacrifice of Christ on Calvary. In chapter 2, Paul adds one other important point. There's a day coming when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel, according to the gospel that I preached. People will be judged for how they respond to this gospel, this good news. 2 Thessalonians 1.8 adds a vivid and horrible scene, yet it's still within the context of the gospel. We read it a few minutes ago. The Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, taking, or excuse me, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These people shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. There is a warning and a command in the gospel. Obey! Obey! And those who obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. And with that, we come to the promise of the gospel. The apostle Peter was sent by God to travel from Joppa to Caesarea to meet with a man who was in the Roman military, a centurion named Cornelius. When he arrived, he told the story. Peter was with Christ through all three of those years of of Jesus' ministry on this earth. He told the man about the Lord Jesus. He spoke then about Jesus' death on the cross. And he said, Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly to other people. Then going on, he told Cornelius, God commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify 
That is, he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To, to Christ give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. There is a promise in the gospel. Yes. Whosoever Amen. repenteth and believeth on him shall receive remission of sins. They washed away. The record expunged. Why was Peter commissioned to preach the gospel to this man? Because it was the only way in which Cornelius could be given forgiveness for sin. He wasn't more wretched than anybody else. In fact, he appeared to be a pretty good guy for being a Roman military man. But he still needed to be born again. Implicit in the gospel is that essential blessing of salvation from sin. It is a promise contained in no other gospel but the one of Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Tell me why, Paul. Because it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the promise of salvation from sin. Paul wrote to the Christians in Ephesus, speaking of the gospel, which promises salvation. He said, in Christ Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated unto the purpose of him who, hath work, who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. That we should be the pray, to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. In whom also ye trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Of, we, have, we have sealing, we have salvation, we have inheritance, all, all through this gospel. Ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise which is the earnest of the inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Second Thessalonians speaks of people obtaining the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is through the gospel. Amen. We, wretched, insignificant creatures, ob obtaining the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ because of what's contained in the gospel. Second Timothy speaks of our Savior Jesus Christ who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. There's no other way. Amen. No other way. If you'd like to have the assurance, the assurance of eternal life, if you'd like to share in the inheritance of God and the glory of Christ, you need what's contained in the gospel. Amen. If you want salvation from sin, then you need the Savior who's a part of that gospel. But it has to be more than just, oh, I know the story. I can tell you the details. No, you need the Christ of that story. And with that, we come to one more thing. The gospel contains automatically an appeal. It is an appeal. Every time the gospel is declared... Implicit in that message are the words of the Lord Jesus. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. 
I will deliver you from this sinful condition of yours. Every gospel message contains Christ's invitation. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. If any man thirsts for deliverance from sin, if any man hungers for fellowship with God, uh, for spiritual peace, for joy, the Savior says, come to me. Yes. That's the message of the gospel. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. William Stoughton was brought to the Savior through that scripture. The story of the gospel carries with it the news that we are dead in trespasses and sins and we desperately need a Redeemer. We need the Lord. We need forgiveness of sins in order for us to enjoy any fellowship with the Holy God. You need the gospel. You need the Savior, which is who is contained in that gospel story. This morning I appeal to you through the gospel. Whether you care anything about the logic involved in this message, what little emotion that I have shared, it matters not. I appeal to you through the gospel. Please, oh please, come to the Savior. Amen. Don't delay. You have no assurance of another day, another hour. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. The person who does not have eternal life will spend... Eternity under the judgment and wrath of God. The gospel says come. Christ says come. The spirit and the bride say come to the Savior. I say it once again. Turn from your sin. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and do it this morning. I beg of you. Please stand.